Dan Mack is back, and this year she has sought out the best customer-centric thought leaders from around the world. Are you after practical, accessible, and customer-centric marketing? You're in the right place. Sit back and enjoy Dan's small business podcast. For more information, go to www.daniellemckinnis.com or visit www.mckinnismarketing.com.au. Hey guys and welcome back, really glad to have another season. Um, interviewing today John Pietz from Brand X. John's got a wealth of experience in branding and today I interview him about his process which is probing into um, the individuals that he's working with and their audience and customers to really try and get a, a strategic and consolidated view of, of their brand. So I hope you enjoy this interview with John. I'm sure you will. Huge company, a Fortune 500 companies. I worked on accounts like, you know, Big Banks and McDonald's and Blue Cross and, you know, just sort of, you know, um, car brands and, you know, liquor brands and stuff like that. And um, actually, it's interesting that potentially... Um, a much smaller client is actually smarter about marketing, although it's rare to find anybody who's really all that smart about marketing. <laughs> well, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess that's why I like working with that group because you're right. I mean, I've worked for Hewlett-Packard and I've been in the big corporate world and there's a, definitely a lot of baggage and process you bring with you. But if you can get to that, manager that sees and can you can clearly articulate the benefit of actually trying to align to their ideal customer and they get it right. um, then it's an then it's a much enjoyable journey and you can actually start being innovative and that's the fun part mm. yeah one of the things I found in and it sounds like you've read through I guess some of the stuff on my site or whatever but one of the things that I've really come to believe and I found is that um, when when these companies like um, consulting companies or you know um, business services or whatever when they start thinking about you know how to build their marketing messages and um, sort of create their brand and understand the mindset behind who they're marketing to is that um, one of the things that makes it really potent and really focuses it is truly understanding the difference between the people who are their, you know, what you could call their ideal clients or their best clients and just an average client or an average customer. Um, so that makes all the difference, I believe. And so that's kind of it, but over time that's moved more and more to the core of, you know, if I do a process that I call brand discovery, they, you know, they always ask me like, okay, so you want to interview some of our customers and want to find out more about them. Should we give you like some of our best customers and some of our difficult customers and some that are in between? 
And I used to kind of do that. Um, and over time, I've gotten to the point where I say, I don't want to talk to your mediocre customers because you don't want more of them. Because <laughs> the more I thought about that, the more I realized that the 80-20 rule really applies so that often with these companies, 20% of their customers are providing 80% of their profits, their satisfaction, their and growth for their company. So those are the ones that if they really focus on those people and really satisfy their desires, then um, they're going to be able to grow their company with a lot less effort and they're going to be able to build a better culture within their company, and they're going to be happier with the work that they're doing. So there's going to be a lot more passion because they're going to be working for people who love them, you know, for what they do best. Um, So that's that's sort of the central theory of what, you know, when I'm making a proposal to a client or proposing to, to research um, and understand their customers better. Um, so can, can you but, sort of take us through what you would do in terms of, you know, that process? Like what would be, um, perhaps not so much from a proposal, let's say that the client has said to go ahead, what would you do in that uh-huh. brand discovery these okay. days? So it's got several pieces. Um, um, the first most obvious thing is that um, I spend a lot of time interviewing the client first and I ask a ton of really probing questions because I want to understand, um, you know, as much as I can, why are they in the business they're in? What do they like about it? And, and, what are they really good at and what do they think makes them different than other companies? And, you know, what are their most satisfying experiences with clients? Um, and, you know, aside from, you know, the ones that pay them a lot, what makes for great clients? What is it, you know, when it's firing at all cylinders, what's happening there? Um, what is that? process like and also what is their sales process like like how do they go about finding new customers what is the sales curve like and it can range it can be a big range of things but often you know the companies that I've dealt with have a pretty long sales curve those are the types of companies you and I can that can be most profitable for you and I is they have uh, a, a complicated or expensive product. Perhaps they have a new product that needs a lot of explanation <clears throat> and it has a long sales cycle. Mm-hmm. So those th- three things require a lot of um, learning on their part and a lot of marketing through a sales cycle. So they have to provide a lot of content perhaps in order to get somebody over time to um you know, to make a sale with these kinds of customers. Mm. Um, so the, I, I probe a lot into what's the sales process? Where is it working well? Where are the snags? Um, so I, I do it. So number one, I do a ton of probing with the, the, the client, I want to, you know, that wants to work with me or that I want to work with. 
um, once they've said, you know, let's talk more or let's, let's sort of engage in the first step of this process and, you know, um, write us a proposal. Um, the second part is that I try to really understand the, the competitive environment in which they operate. Mm -hmm. So who are your biggest competitors? What do you perceive to be their strengths? What are their weaknesses? Um, you know, if you lose out a bid to them or a piece of business, why do you think that's happening? Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll ask it from their point of view and I'll also do some research. Um, and, you know, that part is probably not as deep as the other two parts, but I want to get a really good sense of who the competitors are and what they're doing yeah. um, and, you know, what their, what their stuff looks like and sounds like. Do they have a real brand? Like, is there a real point of view in what they're doing? And if they do, what is there? What have, what have they staked out? What's their position in the market that, that we need to be aware of? Um, and then the third part is all about their customers and their customer mindset. So that third part can have two phases to it. Often the first phase is pretty straightforward, and I ask them to identify um, up to a dozen of their ideal clients, the ones that if they had more of them, they'd be thrilled, their business would be growing, things would be going great. And, um, and if they don't have a really good process for identifying their ideal clients, then there's a process that they can engage in where they, um, they look at their clients and score them for certain factors. Um, and, and then, um, they can actually, um, determine who their ideal clients are by score. And the factors are not all like how profitable they are. They might be how big is their need, um, how enthusiastic are they to work with you, how loyal are they, um, do they spread the word to other people, so do they, do, uh, do they say great things about you to other people, what is their growth potential, those types of things. Um, so, and there could be up to 10 factors and you could just create a matrix and store it. Yeah. And that's something you can show them how to do. I haven't done that very often. And one time I, I actually learned more about how to do this from one client who they didn't even have a website, but they had an amazing system for tracking who their most important and most valuable clients were. And we use that as the basis for choosing who I should interview. Um, and then, and then probably the key part of this whole thing is the interviews. Um, and so the interview, what we're trying to find out is, um, what's, what's really driving the behavior of these, um, ideal customers of theirs. Um, what are the things in their life and their work that are connecting that, that are really being satisfied by what, um, this client does, this company does. Um, so it's a lot of probing questions about their lives. 
they're and often often these are business to business clients, so a lot of probing questions about their work. What's satisfying about it? What's frustrating about it? Where do they see themselves several years from now? I really get them talking about themselves because the whole context for for the interview should be it should be all about them. And you know, people will actually love talking about themselves. So if you get them to feel comfortable, they will go on and on, and that's great because that's where you're going to really start to find stuff out. The fact that if you're doing it or I'm doing it as opposed to our client trying to do it themselves is that we're a no, we're a neutral observer. They don't feel threatened by us. They don't feel as if they're, you know, their guard is down a little bit more, especially if we can make them feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. So it's a whole series of questions about them. And then I segue into their relationship with the client that I'm representing. So, you know, how does this relate to your relationship with them? What have you found working with them? What are the things that you love about what they do? What do they do best? What could they, what do they need improvement on? But um, a lot of it is just getting them to engage in conversation and start revealing things about how they feel. Um, and I get them to reveal as much as I can. I'll also ask like about their media habits, like, where do they get their information? Where do they research solutions for the business? You know, what forms are they on? Where are they online? What social media they're using? What magazines they read? And that's kind of key. Like it's, you know, first we want to find out what it is that they're, what's under the surface of, um, what they want to get from their suppliers. So, um, you know, say that your client is selling construction services, right? Well, there's certain obvious things about that. You know, there's the, there's the, the what they do. It's like, you know, they're qualified to put up X size building. They specialize in certain types of buildings. They've got a great track record, yada, yada, yada. But, there's always something beneath the surface that's really a key component of the decision to hire or to to buy from or do work with our clients, and that's what I'm digging for. Um, or to put it another way, there's a, there's an author I really like. His name is Tom Asacker, and he, and the way he puts it is he says, everybody. Everybody is kind of building a story about themselves and their lives. And what I'm trying to do is discover what that story is and how the client that I represent fits into that story and how they can be an important part of that story that they tell themselves. Mm-hmm. That's how they can become, that's how they can turn clients into really loyal clients, really ideal clients that love to work with them and have and, and stick with them and spread the word. So, um, that's a great, yeah. So the other part of that process is that's really important also. And I think very few people do it. Um, which is taking those interviews. I always record them. I often get transcripts and analyzing them and thinking very deeply about 
what are the commonalities between this set of, say, between eight and a dozen ideal clients that I've identified? What are the common beliefs, the common values, the common desires, and the common fears of this group of people? And in, and so that that's sort of just, you know, hard thinking and deep thinking about what I've heard and what it means. Um, and so that's a very human component that, you know, I guess it t- requires experience and, um, and the, the ability to concentrate and the ability to understand <laughs> what people are telling you. Um, mm-hmm. But from that, so for brand discovery from that, what I do is then I start developing a presentation that tells about the journey of discovery of these ideal clients. So what, who they are, what are their fears, what are their desires, how do we address them uh, uniquely versus your competitors. So we work our way through this very iterative presentation and um, we start to draw conclusions. And I often, it's really important to be working with a key person within that company who's a champion of what's going on and who understands it completely so that as you work through this and you work towards some sort of a statement that tells what's, what this brand is really all about, that they get it mm-hmm. and that they, they support it and that they reach that conclusion with you so that when you go to sell it internally to that client, they see it, they understand it, and they have a major aha moment like, wow, we never look at it that way, but that's exactly right. You know, so that's what you're going for. It's like it's something often that has been hidden right under their noses, but they didn't see it because they're very, they're close to it and they're very involved in the day-to-day transactional experience of running a company. But they, they knew there was something more there. They didn't know what it was. And when it's revealed to them, here's the psychology behind your ideal clients and why they like doing business with you and what you want to recreate systematically for all your customers to grow your company. And that can be a very big revelation for, um, for a client because once they get that, they start to see like, wow, that really tells us how we should be talking to our customers how, what kind of content we should be creating for our customers, how we should answer our phone, what we stand for, what kinds of products our customers want us to introduce, you know, what kind of, it, it, it gives you, gives them much more insight into the real problem you solve for them. And the real problem you solve is, is a lot deeper than I, you know, I build great office buildings, you know, or I, you know, I make great widgets of high quality. It's not, that's important that the the quality of their product and everything is very important, but there's something much deeper that's important. And it's, it's comes from their subconscious. It comes from a part of the brain that does not, have logic and language it comes from their feelings 
And these feelings are part of how they see themselves and the story that they build for themselves. Um, so um, I can give you a couple of examples to help illustrate that because that sounds sort of squishy, right? Um, no, and I'm, but, I'm actually recording it because I think it's really um, – I think it's not squishy. I think, I think a lot of small businesses would relate to that because – I often think it's it's not the what, it's the how. And and sort of what you're doing is you're uncovering that. Um, and I, I do it sort of, but I don't necessarily interview in, at that depth the actual business owners. But it totally makes sense because they are trying to communicate something, but they just, you know, they often shy away from that. And, and you're exactly right. It's It's being able to uncover that. You know, that, that well, it, yeah, if you aren't able to, I mean, that for me, that just came from an intense curiosity about why people do the things they do. Because mm. if you interview them on a sort of a surface level, they might say, I like them because they make a real quality product. But that doesn't differentiate them in any way from most of their competitors. If you don't make a real quality product, you're not even in the game. Yeah. What differentiates them is they're satisfying something deeper and more important to these people. When, when we buy stuff and we choose friends and we choose products and the choices we make in our life, they come from our feelings and then we rationalize them afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, and the way we rationalize it is, I, I bought that BMW because it's a really well-made car. It's really high quality. That's not why we bought that BMW. We bought it because it makes us feel sexy, powerful, in control, you know, important in our tribe, all kinds of reasons that are under the surface that are part of the story that we created for ourselves. Um, But, you know, a lot of people in business to business up until recently thought, well, that doesn't apply to us. That's for like consumer goods. But that's totally not true. Mm. People buy, people buy, I once worked with a company selling um, a a virtualization software and hardware solution. Virtualization is what enables cloud computing. And it's the most abstract, complex thing you can imagine. So laden with technology and specs and um, logic and everybody was selling it in a very stilted, logical um, sort of features and benefits kind of way. And I said, "You you need to sell this on a for a bigger reason to get somebody. You know, people want to see all that logic and all that research and all the things that went into this." But before they do, they want to know why they should care. They want to be inspired and motivated by what it is you do and why you do it and how you do it. And um, so we actually started digging into the psyche of people who get into technology. Mm -hmm. And um, we realized that a lot of people that get into doing technology, it's not just because they're good at science or they're geeks. They see themselves as people that want to change the world. 
And technology is a lot of what is changing the world now. And they want to do big, exciting things that change the world and make people's lives better. And they want to be, you know, uh, agents of change. Um, and they have very often found themselves in a position that's the exact opposite of what they wanted to feel. Um, so they're spending 90% of the time just putting out fires, so, you know, solving stupid problems and um, um, all kinds of bottlenecks and, you know, people that are upset because this and that isn't working in the system. And they're often miserable in that role. So what we decided to build a brand around was an idea of freedom. Now, that can be pretty complex because there's like, in that case, there were four different like types of people we had to appeal to. They were like the CIO, and then there was, um, you know, systems engineers, and then there were um, um, uh, IT managers. So there was everything from the lowly system admin all the way up to the CIO. They have different agendas of what, the, you know, what their job means, but... Um, we decided that the idea that what they were all seeking was actually freedom and freedom was a different thing. Like on the, on the lowest level, the system admin who spends all this time just putting out fires and migrating data and all this mundane stuff, it was the freedom to, to love their job again is what they were seeking. Mm-hmm. For a CIO, it's the freedom to, um, uh, make big business decisions that, you know, can um, catapult their company, like mer- a, a merger and acquisition or moving a data center or, you know, moving the whole company to a new location. When you think about any of those big business things, it's like the IT headaches are just huge. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, this product helped enable them to um, do a lot of things that they weren't able to do before. So anyway... Um, it's always there's always a big deeper motivation. If there's a way to to wrap it around one very singular thought, that can be very powerful. Um, mm. Because in your marketing, you'll just stand out way heads and tails above anybody else because you'll be known for something that they care about. Um, so that's what that's what I that's what in my process what I'm digging for. I guess what led to my interview techniques, I'm not a silver-tongued interviewer by any means. I'm kind of, you know, I'm probably a little clumsy and, you know, um, I probably pretty much sound like a regular guy, but it's just an intense curiosity about what's going on behind that mask of yours, (laughs) you know? And maybe even a bit Um, of a, a part psychologist and, you know, you obviously have that insight and be able to you know, that analytical, and, you know, obviously really enjoy it. What do you think was the trigger for people actually making that first contact with with your company? Why do they initially that is That is something I really need to figure out. That's something I struggle with all the time. Um, and usually, it's usually comes from somebody who's worked with me who loves what I do and the way I do it and tells somebody they know. Or they refer somebody else who tells somebody else who says, my friend said this guy was great, you should call him. And then if I can get in a room with somebody, I can tell very quickly if 
that's a good fit. And I can, you know, I can see their eyes light up when I, you know, sort of explain, um, you know, how I can help them. But I, I do have to say it's, it's been very important to be able to walk into a meeting and to be able to show them that you understand something about the business. Mm. You can talk about it in an articulate way and you can reveal something that maybe they didn't think about before about their business. Um, that's when I find that their eyes light up. Um, and I think that's why people always say you should, you know, it's, it's, probably a good idea to specialize in certain vertical categories. Yeah. Um, that's been a little bit my downfall. I, I get bored spending too much time and <laughs> there are certain verticals I'm fairly well, you know, I'm, I've got a fair amount of experience in, or there's even a couple you could say I'm really well versed in, but I get a thrill out of bringing ideas from other categories to new you know, to new clients in different categories and showing them how applying some of that knowledge can really um, make them stand out in their category. So that's that's the part where I'm kind of like um, uh, sort of swimming upstream, I have to say, in some cases, just because of my own desire to, for who I want to work with. I, I have a, I've had a broad range of different types of clients and then that makes it harder because I have to go in and learn about a new industry. But, yeah. um, you know, my curiosity helps me learn quickly because I, I love learning about new stuff. And I, I uh, you know, if somebody will let me, I will grill them every which way to find out about their business and what it really means to their customers. So, um and he obviously really, but yeah, that, really... that's a very good question, and that's a stunt, that's a little bit of a stumper for me. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm fairly busy, but I don't know how to. I still don't know how to go out and connect with my ideal clients as often as I want to. Um, and maybe on some level, content is the answer. But you know, I'm like you. I I'm, I I mean, I don't know. I'm a one-man company. I work with other partners and stuff, but I'm basically a one-man company. So when I'm yeah. promoting myself, it's a time crunch, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. So. But obviously there's a, you know, you, you've got that referral business and you've got, you know, people who know what you do. And as you said, I'm sure your conversion, once you get in the room because you're showing that thought and insight and you've done your homework and and you can show the difference between you know, where they are and where they could be. But that trigger of, well, <clears throat> we need this, I think even if you're not doing it, the market's doing it for you. Because that, I think I was reading something in Forrester about, you know, undifferentiated and commoditized. you know, that, that it's, right. it's, it's just merging. So that point of difference which may have been feature and benefit driven a while ago, it, it is much more about the how you do it and the story you tell and the brand that you have and that one single, you know, thing that you want to try and hang your hat on so you can get some noise. And so maybe that trigger point is, is reaching you. Do you know what I mean? Because there's more awareness about it that what they were doing yeah. before just isn't working anymore. I think, you know, that 
that we're at this. No, search. it isn't. I think brands are suffering. I think few and there's fewer and fewer really um, differentiated brands in people's minds. I, I somebody uh, there's a company in New York that does research on this. There's sort of a, a known um, a lot of people um, respect this company and they respect the research and they they they've done some pretty in-depth research about brands and they say that, you know, something like fewer than 20% of all brands are clearly differentiated in people's minds. So 80% of companies have bland or indeterminate brands. They don't stand for anything that means something important to customers. So there's a huge need out there and, you know, we live in a really, we live in a, a very scattered world right now where everybody's kind of chasing all these tactical things like useful tools, but not if you don't know what you're doing. So, you know, all kinds of content, social media, mm-hmm. all kinds of digital channels, and then you got your traditional channels. Um, if you don't know what mindset and what desire you're speaking to in your customers, you're wasting a lot of money doing all this stuff. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, so what do you, is there, so any, I, I was going to say, is there anything okay. that you're reading or anyone that you're following at the moment? Um, you mentioned a book before that is shaping, obviously you've got a thirst for knowledge like I do. Just be interested to know what, you know, what your, um, world looks like in terms of influences at the moment. Uh, influences? Yeah, just things that you might be reading yeah. or s- stuff that you. Yeah, I've been about. I've been talking a lot to that author that I mentioned, Tom Asacker, who wrote a book called The Business of Belief. Okay. Um, and I find that to be a fascinating book, and. Um, you know, and I, I've listened to a couple of interviews by him, and I think he really understands what's going on in the psychology of business today, and um, and so that's an influence. <clears throat> there was um, something that a lot of people were talking about this year that I was intrigued by, and it was um, it was that whole Simon Sinek thing. Oh yeah. Uh, um, the why, uh, just ask why. Um, <clears throat> I, I think that that's, he reframed things in a really interesting way. I've kind of been um, paying some attention to that, but it's interesting. I, it's an interesting theory, and I think there's a lot of truth to it, but I think there's also um, some hype to it, but it's interesting. And it, it was definitely um, <clears throat> very smart, and it caught a lot of people's attention and has totally changed the dialogue about what we're doing with marketing. Um, I like Marty Neumeyer a lot. Okay. He's, um, he's a, thought, a designer and a thought leader with a company called Liquid Agency. Oh, he was nice. a designer by trade, but he's written several really interesting books. Um, and... Um, You've, you've probably heard, uh, let me say, they're on my bookshelves here, but you mentioned a couple of them too. But he writes short, very graphic, very interesting books about branding. So um, 
One's called, uh, let's see what I've got here. One's called Zag. It's a really oh, yeah. um, well-known book. Yeah. Zag. yeah, it's a designful company. Yeah. Uh, so he's got a couple of really interesting books, and I think he really understands brands and branding and psychology really well, too. So I like uh, I like him a lot. Um, I like um, Chip Keith and Dan Keith. They wrote... Um, they wrote Made to Stick and Switch are two of their books. I think they have a new book out too, but those are both really powerful books, I think, um, that really understand um, psychology and, and branding and communications really well. Um, I read, I, I read uh, certain books on like psychology and marketing psychology and... Um, there's a uh, there's a really interesting uh, uh, writer, and he also has sort of a uh, sort of a marketing research firm. His name's uh, Gerald Zaltzman. Okay. And um, he, I have a book by his uh, marketing metaphoria, and he talks about how potent metaphors are in marketing, which speaks to the same things we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Metaphors trigger our brain in the place where logic thought doesn't happen. It's where feelings happen. Um, So there's a book that nobody really talks about that I discovered years ago, and I still think it's brilliant, but it's called The Culture Code. Oh, yes. You might want to check that out, The Culture Code. It's a French guy by the name of Clotaire Rappel. (laughs) But I think that's really good. You know, and I like some of the classic guys like um, Jack Trout and Al Reeves. I think yeah. they're pretty smart guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I like um, Alina Wheeler. I don't know if you've, you've come across her book. But, um, she, I, could you say that again? Your, uh, your voice is getting yeah. a little fuzzy there. Yeah, sure. It's Alina Wheeler. And she... How do you spell her last name? It's W H. Double E L E R. I'll send you a link. A Wheeler. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 She's okay. I wanted to. I wanted to turn it around a little bit on you and ask you about your new business process. And obviously, that content you create is part of it. But uh, tell me a little bit about how you attract and uh, land new clients, especially the ones you consider your ideal clients? Yeah, it's a good question. It's taken me a long time to actually work out who my ideal client is and that's why I've actually profiled them on my website and said, if you look like this, you're for me. If you don't look like this, don't ring me. So I've been really (laughs) much more um, black and white about that. Um, So what do I do? Well, I do the podcast um, and I think that's really important because it's it's trying to share um, knowledge to the market that I'm after, which is definitely not someone that's got a marketing department but knows that they need it. And that's exactly to the point you made that small businesses are nimble, they're smart, they're closer to the customer and they can execute on decisions. As long as there are certain dollar turnover, they'll invest. So that's the sweet spot. How do I... Mm-hmm get them in my funnel, so to speak. Well, 
you know, I give a lot away. And and even today, you know, with this portal or, you know, there's lots of templates on my site because at the end of the day, the biggest thing for my ideal customer is they simply do not have time to execute. And mm-hmm. even though that's step two, I can get them back to step one by having that conversation that you have in the boardroom. Well, you know what? Let's not go and spend all this money till we know exactly who we're talking to and why they're going to buy off us. And that conversation is so important. And what I was alluding to before was not that I don't ask those compelling questions to their customers. I definitely dig deep into that. But I don't ask it of the owners which is what you're doing. I do the initial conversation which I tape, but I don't really dig as much as you do. And I think because what I thought was the customer's um, viewpoint or perception was more important, but you've actually changed that in my mind. I think that until I can get the alignment between the customer and the owner, then I might miss something. I might miss something that's really critical in that analysis because like you, I do the, I do the competitive analysis, I do the customer analysis, but I haven't focused mm-hmm. as much on that owner, and that is a big aha for me. So I really thank you because that's that's something that I, you know, I always. Oh yeah, the company culture is so yeah. important. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, it's where I, if you think of it as two circles, right? One, the company, what they believe in, what are the values, and what are they really good at. Yeah. And what do they love doing? What are they best at? And then overlapping it with the with the customer, what are their needs? What are their desires? What are their values? And what is the story that they create for themselves? Like how do they see themselves fitting into the world? And, and what is that? What's a picture that? When you overlap those two things, then that's a sweet spot for a brand. Yes, um, I see that. Because a, a good brand, a brand doesn't just work externally. It needs to work internally too because it needs to re, it needs to reinforce the behavior of the people within the company so that they're, they're um, actually living and living that brand and they're actively um, engaged in it because they, um, because it, it matches up with their own desires, what what they how they see themselves and what they want to be doing for customers and what the, their value to the world is, you know. Oh, so, absolutely. Um, I've done an uh, interview with um, Jeannie Bliss, um, who's um, who's written a couple of books, um, and and that internal customer culture is a big part of her emphasis and. Um, yeah, it's a it's a, it's sometimes a big shift it, between and and one of my clients is you know the the CEO has a very clear um, understanding of the brand that he he um, he wants and that he's building and and the culture that he's got and where he's going is not aligned and so therefore the experience of the customer and all those touch points isn't actually living up to that. Um, you know where he wants to be so there's a shift that needs to happen there and um, and that needs to be reinforced those values need to be lived it can't just be a plaque and so that's a big um, it's almost like a change 
a change agent pro- yeah. process because it can't just happen. So. Yeah, it should be transformative, kind of. It helps people to really see what they're, um, you know, the people within the company. They it, it helps them really understand what their value is and how important they can be to their customers. So it gives them a lot of, it can give them a lot of pride in what they do, and it can um, give them a lot of powerful ideas about how they can do it better and satisfy their customers even more. Um, Absolutely. So. <laughs> All right, I'll let I you will. go and um, enjoy your evening. I really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Okay. Um, likewise, great talking to you. Take Thanks. care. Thanks, John. Hey, thanks for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this podcast. For more great marketing tips, go to Dan's blog at www.daniellemcginnis.com and sign up for her marketing tips or visit her website at www.mcginnismarketing.com.au. Catch you next time.